This is Beekeeper Confidential, a show about the curious lives of bees and their beekeepers. I'm your host, Mandy Shaw. Today, I'm joined by Selena Bruckner on behalf of the Bee Informed Partnership. Right now, the Bee Informed Partnership is conducting its annual Colony Management and Loss Survey. This is the longest running national honeybee colony management survey available, and they need your participation. As it stands, only one out of every 10 honeybee colonies in the U.S. is believed to be represented in this survey. And it's not just for commercial beekeepers. They need to hear from us, the hobbyists, the backyard beekeepers, the small-scale beekeepers, who have incredible insights into their colony's health, management, the stories, how long those colonies have been alive, the splits, the swarms. So take a moment today and take the survey. Go to beinformed.org. The survey link is available there. It takes less than 30 minutes. Every answer to this survey has an impact. Today, Selena and I are going to do a little deep dive into the numbers from previous year's results. And I think in hearing that, you'll see why it's important for more participants to be a part of this. So join me in welcoming Selena Bruckner. Would you like to introduce yourself and give a little bit of your background and how you ended up um, working with a Be Informed Partnership? Uh, yeah, well, I'm, um, well, I'm Selena, uh, but I'm technically affiliated with Auburn University in Alabama, um, where I did my PhD. Well, I started my PhD in 2017, and I graduated two years ago, almost. Um, and we, well, my supervisor, Jeff Williams, he knew Dennis Van Engelsdorp up in Maryland, who is like basically the head of the Be Informed Partnership, or kind of a really important part of the Be Informed Partnership. And, um, like universities and, by association. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I was, yeah, I was really excited to, to work on something at the national level um, after basically just moving to the States. And it also kind of helped to just learn a little bit more about the beekeeping industry in a different country, for sure. Yeah. How, how does the beekeeping industry here compared to back home for you? And where are you from? Just so we have some reference. Um, I'm, I'm originally from Switzerland, so I'm European um, where we do have uh, quite a long tradition of beekeeping as well, but it's more small-scale beekeepers. Switzerland is like a teeny tiny country, so it's it's more dense. Everything's more dense, I guess, uh-huh. especially the beekeeping um, density, I guess. Um, so yeah, it was interesting to learn about the commercial industry and like migratory beekeeping and, and stuff like that. And when you were working on your PhD, what was your main focus? I did mostly toxicology studies um, with with honeybees, like individuals. And then one of my fo- focuses was actually the, the Bee Informed Partnership, where I was able to kind of spearhead, I guess, um, three years of the survey. Mm-hmm. But 
luckily I didn't have to do it by myself. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah, it probably not have happened. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So that's pretty amazing. That's like a really interesting marriage of, um, of focuses. And did you find anything in your research besides obviously honeybees, but if you're looking at toxicology and if you're looking at, at all of the data collected by Be Informed, did you find any connections there? Um, we didn't, I guess like with toxicology, it's a little tricky. I mean, we did, you can kind of expand that to, to pesticide applications, obviously, which is important for, for beekeepers or, or bees with like foraging on, on crops or even residential gardens that use a lot of, of pesticides. But it's it's really hard as a, like just to kind of point it out, or I guess, or detect it just by looking at it. So oh, yeah. it's kind of hard to, to ask those questions in, in like a survey where you don't have any testing involved, I guess. So um, we do hear occasionally reports of, of pesticide kills when, you know, when beekeepers kind of see a lot of dead bees um, in front of their hives. But again, without testing, it's kind of hard to verify whether that's what happened or not. Mm. And isn't it, and I'm, I know I'm getting a little bit sidetracked here, but I do that a lot. If you suspect that your hive has been poisoned, isn't it very critical that you get a sample as soon as possible? Don't the pesticides degrade in the honeybee's body like pretty quickly after exposure? I would, I mean, I would for sure like um, say yes, if if there is any kind of suspicion that your bees were poisoned, then I, I would definitely try to get a sample and send it to a, um, to a lab that can detect or like um, assess those things. Yeah, I know here in Oregon, we have um, the Oregon De Department of Agriculture. They have a lab mm -hmm. that can test for pesticides for exposures for bees. Yeah, and I guess the best the best point of contact to ask where to send your bees would probably be the apiary inspector of, of any state. They could probably kind of direct you to the, the resources that you need. Um, because yeah, I mean it's it's not only important for, for this particular beekeeper to know that, but also um, mostly you have some neighboring beekeepers that might be affected as well. So I would argue that if there is any suspicion, I would I would probably try to to get it tested for sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad we got that out of the way. So now everybody knows that is the the um, gold standard of protocol if you believe that your bees have been poisoned by pesticides. Well, yeah. <laughs> and actually, that's um, maybe also a good kind of transition to to actually this year's survey because. Um, we are actually going to ask a few questions about the environment and what's going on with the bees and that are interacting with um, different forage resources and stuff. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. So let's tell people what is the, the main survey. And this is a survey that anybody can participate in. If you have bees, you can participate in it. And is there any number of hives that you have to have, or is it open to everybody? That's a, that's a good question. Um, first of all, yeah, take the survey. Um, it's open to, to any beekeeper. I mean, ideally you have one hive, but um, that is that is basically it. Um, there's no like minimal number of hives that anyone needs. We do usually 
like kind of classify our respondents based based on the numbers of five that they have. We kind of refer to anybody that keeps less than 50 hives as backyard beekeepers. Mm -hmm. And then between 50 and 500 hives would be considered a sideliner. And then everything that has more than 500 colonies would be a commercial. But you don't have to have more than 500 colonies to participate, for sure. Okay. I'm very curious. Would you say, like, are the majority of your respondents, are they commercial beekeepers? No. Oh. <laughs> um, actually, we do, um, and that's been pretty consistent. So this survey has been running since um, 2007, where it was actually together with the um, APRI inspectors of America um, after basically frequent reports of, of colony collapse disorder. But this survey has been running for many, many years. And for the most part, the majority of our participants are backyard beekeepers, since um, that's also the majority probably of beekeepers in the United States. Although they keep less colonies than all the commercials together, but um, generally speaking, that's kind of the main participation pool that we have. Oh, I think that's very exciting. I was having a discussion with a group of uh, backyard beekeepers and we were saying that because we're not working with hundreds and thousands of hives, we have a little bit of a different opportunity to observe our bees at a, at a deeper level. So knowing that you're having a lot of backyard beekeepers or hobbyists participate in the survey, it's like very exciting to me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, it's also, I mean, it's also like what, Personally, I consider myself, whereas, um, for example, our lab at the moment is more considered like a sideline operation. So it is interesting um, to even compare the answers or um, the data that we get from different operation sizes and kind of like, yeah, make those, make connections or compare it to ourselves how we do. Yeah. Well, let's dive right in. What are you seeing in these reports? So um, first of all, we, we did we did see some kind of decline in, in actually um, responses over the years. It's not um, significant, but um, it is it is for sure, for sure interesting. So we tried to kind of like make the survey more more accessible and maybe also easier to to like take by reducing the content or like kind of the amount of questions that we are asking, we should say, um, and also kind of tailor the surveys more to small scale beekeepers or backyard beekeepers and then the commercial beekeepers because some practices that we're doing are just not the same between small operations versus large operations. And right. Backyard uh, beekeepers aren't going to put their bees in cold storage for the winter for, for varroa mitigation. Exactly. And that's, I mean, that's some of the feedback that we got that like um, some, some hobbyists told us, well, those questions are not really appropriate for, for my operation size versus then commercial beekeepers. Sometimes we're saying, well, this really doesn't align with what I'm doing. So we're, we tried to kind of go those two tracks, um, which we started to do actually last year. So I can't say much about um, that just yet, but we did. We did actually see some trends last year that um, show for, we asked 
um, about queens and new colonies last year. Um, and we found that commercial beekeepers actually tend to split their colonies um, way earlier than, than actually backyard beekeepers, for example. So it is really cool to see just those, even those differences in, in management practices. And um, I guess kind of like following that, we also consistently over the years have been seeing that large operation types like commercial beekeepers generally lose less colonies, especially during the winter compared to backyard beekeepers. That's kind of a consistent trend, let's say, that we've been observing. Do you think that it has to do with nutrition or is it varroa or smaller colonies? I mean, what do you what do you think that's about? That's a really interesting question. Actually, one member of, of BIP, um, she's not with BIP anymore, but she um, has, has done a lot of work with the Bean Forum Partnership. She published a paper that was kind of talking about that. And she actually uh, discussed that one potential explanation could be that many um, commercial beekeepers send their bees to almonds, for example, in February, or have like pollination contracts. So they need really strong bees early in the season. So they tend to are, do really strict varroa treatments um, in fall and kind of and feed their bees a lot more, I guess, than maybe backyard beekeepers to ensure that they go through the winter mm -hmm. um, and come out really strong. So just kind of like those those beekeeping goals, I guess, that are also different between the operation types that could influence um, the mortality rates that we see. Wow. It's so amazing because it, it seems like in just even the years that I've been a beekeeper, beekeeping is becoming more and more challenging. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have to say, I just talked to about a couple of Alabama beekeepers a few hours ago that came to visit um, Auburn. And we were talking about beekeeping. And I mean, I, I've been studying bees for many, many years now, actually. And I'm still struggling <laughs> to actually keep my colonies alive. So it's like, just because you know, you think you know a lot doesn't mean that it's any easier, honestly. Um, so I think um, I'm always really impressed just to talk to beekeepers that um, are still keeping their bees alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think especially as the temperatures get warmer and warmer every summer, especially, you know, I've just, we've had so many drought years here in Oregon and last year was really pretty severe and, and we had really extreme temperatures and it just, it just had such an impact on what the bees had available to forage. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's like the, the difficult part with bees as well. They're so intrinsically linked with, with the environment. And actually, again, we one of the kind of changes that we made to the survey last year was that, um, so the survey originally consisted of like questions that were targeting um, colony losses to monitor um, basically the status of, of national the national honeybee stocks, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But then we also have the second part that is more targeting management practices. And last year we decided that instead of having a super long management um, 
questionnaire that we're going to focus on one particular topic. Like I said before, it was Queens and new colonies last year. And then this year, we are actually going to focus on environment. And one of those questions or one of our goals is to actually maybe zoom in or look look closer at like forage, forage availability. Um, so ideally, we would like to be able to maybe track pollen and nectar flows throughout the year in different regions. So those questions will hopefully help us to maybe kind of paint a picture of, of forage as well, because yeah, it is just super important for, for our bees to have adequate nutrition for sure. Yeah. And I would say, you know, Bee Informed Partnership, their number one agenda and I'm not speaking on behalf of them, I'm speaking as somebody who's followed them for, for several years. They're here to collect all of this information and put it together in something that is easy for us to read and understand. And, you know, whether or not we use this information to further uh, influence our beekeeping practices, it's an important glimpse at what is happening at a national level with our honeybee populations. Definitely. And I mean, well, it's really amazing because that's actually, I mean, the Bee Informed Partnership Survey is one of the longest standing bee surveys like in the world, actually. I mean, it's been running since 2007. That's like, what, 15 years now? <laughs> and it has been super interesting because Natalie Howard very, very people that's queen. Um, all, well, a lot of the number crunching, like numbers crunching, I guess. She actually has presented several um, figures to beekeeper organizations where she's been showing like, trends over the past 10 years, for example. And, you know, we can see changes in like, for example, how people monitor for mites, where it's like at the beginning of the survey, not many people actually did. And then we can see an increase, which is super important and informative also for, for extension specialists to actually um, develop trainings and yeah, programs mm -hmm. for. So yeah, like every single answer counts and every single answer brings very important and interesting information to the yeah. pool for sure. Well, that raises a, a really important point that what you guys are collecting could reveal where there may be gaps in knowledge or areas where beekeepers could, you know, enhance their skills. And so when you said, you know, extension services could use survey results to inform their training materials, that's super cool. Definitely, yeah. And I mean, I um, personally, I'm, I'm really interested in the extension. And I have to say, I, I looked at several big uh, data trends, and it has been helpful to kind of maybe um, select a specific topic that we want to um, teach beekeepers in, uh, and make some changes, um, hopefully, to the better or like for better bee health let's put it like that and mm -hmm. i mean there have been papers or like kelly who you interviewed a few years ago i mean she had like a really great um publication as well on, on basically best management practices that came from from bib data by just kind of comparing 
different management practices and evaluating how well they they were they did for for the bees mm-hmm. so yeah there's like so much potential that we um that is basically buried in in the answers and um we try to look at as many as possible for sure yeah it seems like so much focus has been on Varroa and what it can do to a colony, how do we manage it, but it seems like there is a little bit of a shift happening and that shift is moving towards the importance of nutrition and how nutrition can help honeybees be a little bit more resilient in terms of you know what, how vulnerable they are when there is a large presence of Varroa in their colony. Yeah, def- I mean, definitely, like the last few years have been, um, I don't know whether revolutionary is really the right word, but there has been so much um, research done on, on nutrition uh, and just kind of like finding out that it's not just the kind of the big, the big parts of nutrition, but there's also like the small, the small parts that we don't see, see by eyes. And yeah. um, I think those, those studies are super important. And again, also collecting information on the environment that beekeepers and their bees are in um, is going hopefully going to contribute a little bit to to this bigger picture and the importance of of nutrition and the environment. Yeah, I yeah. almost wonder if Dr. Samuel Ramsey's assertion and proof that the varroa are not feeding off of the blood, but rather than the but rather the fat body. I wonder if that discovery got people thinking a little bit differently about bee health or am I just making this up? That is, that is a good question. <laughs> I don't know whether I can actually answer that. Um, and honestly, I have not thought about it that way, but that is a really, a really good thought. It's sort of uh, like, it was just a really important discovery in the timeline of the business of keeping bees and their interaction uh, with environment and environmental pressures. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, I was more thinking about um, with, with nutrition and bee health picking up that they might be related to nutrition in human health picking up as well. But Oh, yes. That is a very good um, connection there as well that I actually haven't thought about. Yeah, definitely. And like that just gets me thinking about food deserts. And bees, uh, particularly, I would say native bees, suffer from that food desert circumstance the most when we have these large swaths of single crop, um, you know, farms. Yeah, I mean, native bees for sure is also a topic that has been um, luckily gained more attention and um, I'm I'm very lucky that I'm actually in the in a lab where we we do have well a postdoc and several grad students that are actually working on some of those native bee issues and it's so interesting um, coming from a mainly honeybee background to learn about the native bees and it's so fascinating um, to learn about the different kind of strategies they use to survive but also seeing some similarities between native bees and, and honeybees. Do you ever see a, a large survey being developed for native bee populations or for people that are out there observing? I mean, we have we have something similar 
to that in Oregon, but it's a statewide initiative rather than on a national level? That is a very good question. <laughs> I mean, there's for sure potential to do it. Um, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I have to, I have to um, confess that I'm not, uh, I guess, kind of most first in, in the <laughs> ecology, but just wondering whether it's, it's like, they do have different ecological needs. So I'm actually not entirely sure how kind of similar the native bee populations are within the same regions of the states, because there's so many different climates. While honeybees are, I mean, we we do kind of manage and support them in many ways. Yes. Bees are more on their own. So that might make it a little tricky to have a national survey when there's so many differences. Yeah. Well, I like to put big ideas out there into the world. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, if, if like an NFP specialist listen to this podcast, definitely reach out to uh, <laughs> to talk about the potential native bee survey. Yes, definitely. You never know. You never know who could be listening or who has the capacity to, to pull something like that off. Um, <laughs> so with the survey... Is there anything that you're seeing, like, especially in the last three to five year range that you feel like beekeepers really need to pay extra attention to? So one thing um, I would say, and, and um, especially because I, I have mainly been focusing on, on the past few years since it's been part of my, my dissertation and now our um, PhD students actually kind of working on, on the survey a lot. For sure that we realize that um, losses are not exclusive to winter. Um, it's not there, like summer seems to be, you know, a time where you can have substantial losses as well. So kind of shifting this, this assumption that um, just because summer kind of does have more um, floral resources, usually it doesn't mean that the bees are, are just going to be fine um, no matter what. Yeah. So I think that's been something really interesting that we, we've seen um, because historically most bee surveys around the globe have focused on, on winter because it is just like um, a time of the year where the bees cannot go out and stuff like that. But it seems that there's also, um, summer can have some adverse uh, kind of variables in it as well, for sure. Wow. And, um, for sure, when we, we asked um, our participants to basically tell us what they think, why they lose their colonies, and it's been really interesting to see that over the past few years, um, the top three causes, I would say, or the top two causes across like all operation types, whether you're a small-scale beekeeper or large-scale beekeeper, have been um, varroa mites, but also queen issues actually. So oh. that's been, I think that's like an interesting trend that we're seeing as well. That like, um, it seems that there's some overlap between the different operation types in, in terms of what they think. And that's all subjective. So it's kind of hard to, um, I don't want to say we are 100% sure, but. Yeah. Um, just the perception of the beekeepers kind of overlap between even be between um, different operation sizes. Wow. Well, there has been a lot of discussion about queen rearing and are allowing the bees to raise their own queens 
versus r- human reared queens yeah um i i have been reading or hearing um some of those discussions as well and honestly um it's kind of it's kind of hard to i don't know i don't really have formed an opinion um, necessarily <laughs> i guess whatever works for for the beekeepers and the bees um at yeah. the moment i don't think we have quite enough maybe knowledge or data to as to which one is like better but i, f- I feel like there's like beekeeping is such a kind of personal activity as well i mean if you one uh presentation that i listened to recently and that's like a saying that i've heard so many times if you ask two beekeepers you get at least four answers so it's like yeah it's a personal <laughs> kind of um, activity and um, i don't want to i guess make decisions necessarily for anybody else yeah yeah that's so true um that's that's a great answer but then again, I mean, obviously there are there are people doing research on, on um, queens or like other issues that the bee, bees face. And I feel like um, with science, we, we sometimes do um, find out that um, some of our assumptions were maybe not, not 100% correct, but I do feel that there are recommendations by scientists, by extension specialists that are I would say it's probably a good idea to follow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's that's good life advice just in general. You know, we um, are naturally curious. We do make a lot of assumptions about things, but it's so important to be able to pivot when you find evidence that maybe what you believed was not right. Definitely, yeah. I mean... Again, also even with the survey, I mean, we did we did for sure realize that as well. I mean, um, we try to listen to like feedback and and things like that to to like improve, trying to improve like every single year. And I guess that's not exclusive to to like this particular survey, but um, yeah, I guess beekeeping is very personal, but it's also something that kind of connects us, which I I love about working with with bees and beekeepers is just something that you have in common and that is like yeah just kind of connecting us yeah I couldn't agree more that's kind of been the premise of this whole show is just you know talking about all the ways that everything is connected and it all comes back to bees (laughs) (laughs) it always comes back to the bees Awesome. Well, Selena, is there anything else that you would like to add about the survey or things you want people to know? I mean, I will definitely be including um, links to this survey in the show notes and on social media. Um, But if there's any other like little juicy bit of information that you want to make sure the listeners are aware of... (laughs) Uh, I don't know how juicy this is going to be, but um, well, first of all, thank you for for sharing um, the survey on on social media because I think that's one of the caveats with with the survey. We really do rely on um, word to mouth, and um, basically all the beekeepers that listen to this uh, podcast, we do rely on on like sharing the information or the word about the survey, um, so that. Uh, you and your peers can go to the Beanform Partnership 
web page and click a button and take a survey in April. Because again, like um, we are always really excited, um, always a little scared before the survey um, goes online, but also super excited. It's kind of Easter for us, I guess. Oh, we, that's so cute. <laughs> okay, what would be like the ultimate participant number goal for you guys like if you got how many participants would it just blow your minds and you would just feel like you have such a rich um uh, uh wealth of data to pull from from these participants that's a good question so i think on average our survey represented like 10% of the nation's beekeepers and 10% of its colonies so i mean wow. it would be cool to like double this obviously i don't know how realistic that is but i think if we could get like six six thousand participants yeah that would that would be already really really nice um and obviously there's always room further up okay six thousand participants and this is in the month of april that people can log in and take the survey exactly and yeah we're also we're working on a new survey platform that is hopefully going to be live um so yeah there's something new even for those beekeepers that participated for many years oh my gosh how can anybody resist i know they can't. Like, <laughs> i don't think so either because <laughs> we that want you to reach amazing. your goal we want you to reach your goal of six thousand survey participants definitely yeah and i mean i i do feel like it's it is um always interesting even to look to look back on your beekeeping year to kind of reflect on on what you've been doing and this survey kind of gives you gives beekeepers the opportunity to do that because it's kind of um retrospective so it covers data from last year um and sometimes it's kind of fun to to be like oh yeah i actually did this and this and this and this with my bees. Yeah, definitely. And just so people know, if you have lost all of your colonies, there's no shame in taking the survey. You know, they're not going to send the bee police over to your house or anything mm -hmm. like that. <laughs> there's no judgments. This is just data collection and it helps to influence, um, like we discussed earlier, training materials for extension services and it just adds to this really long running database on the United States um, honeybee inventory. Definitely, I would, yeah, I, I second that for sure. Um, <laughs> losing losing colony, uh, colonies is really sad and makes makes you feel bad, but it's, it well, the truth is that it probably happens to, to all of us. It um, does, yeah. We can do the best that we can. Yeah. Well, awesome. Selena, thank you so much for joining me today and getting all of us updated on the latest happenings at the Be Informed Partnership. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, it was a lot of fun. Cool. Well, Hopefully I could convince a few people to take the survey. I think we will. To learn more about the Be Informed Partnership and to go online and take their survey, visit beinformed.org. The survey only runs through the month of April. So please set aside some time today to take the survey after listening to this show while it's fresh in your minds. And just know you're getting a big high five from your host. Until next time.
May the buzz be with you. Beekeeper Confidential is written and produced by Mandy Shaw.